The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, alongside the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis as we record late on Wednesday night, January 11th, 2023, as we bring you a new podcast episode, many of you will be listening to this episode Thursday morning on January 12th. And in this podcast episode, there's actually a lot to talk about just for all of Major League Baseball, and including the Chicago White Sox. MLB Network is releasing their top 10 players for the upcoming 2023 season. They started with the relievers. The White Sox do have a reliever in their top 10, but they recently released the list of first basemen and you don't see any White Sox players nominated. We'll get to that and we'll try to figure out how in the world do you rank the White Sox first base situation compared to the rest of Major League Baseball. Now life after Jose Abreu. Another Former White Sox player that becomes an old friend. Johnny Cueto signs with the Miami Marlins. So we get to compare and contrast Cueto's contract with Mike Clevenger's with the Chicago White Sox. Carlos Correa is returning to the Minnesota Twins as that saga is finally over. And the White Sox make a move. They signed Hanser Alberto to a minor league contract. We'll talk at so the end of the right show now. what that means. Yeah. Hot stove is on fire for the White Sox. There's a lot to discuss, so let's go ahead and get started with the number one news item, and the Chicago White Sox, again, are making addition to Guarantee Rate Field. We mentioned this at a couple podcasts ago, that a building permit made public through the Chicago City Works notified a lot of people in Chicago that the White Sox were going to be adding to Guarantee Rate Field at the 500 level, introducing new bars, and we were wondering how this setup would be. And the Chicago White Sox late on Wednesday released the first images of the new bar. We have those new images. So for those that are watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see these images in the podcast highlight of this news. And we'll share it as well on SoxMachine.com in the podcast post. But here it is, a new 500 level bar. And the Chicago White Sox releasing their press release 
They are called view bars, and they're going to be located in sections 516 and section 548. They're going to be featuring walk-up beverage service with seating that offers excellent views of the field, creating new amenities for all fans on the 500-level concourse. Miller High Life and Blue Moon, iconic Molson Coors brands, Jim. Mm -hmm. They'll be featured on the branding of the bars, and there'll be more details announced as they should be ready to go for the 2023 season. I'm a big Miller High Life guy. I know that you also enjoy Miller High Life because that's what we were drinking on 108 day at Reggie's. But this is the first view, the 500 level bar. So there's going to be bar tabletops and bar stools that you could be sitting at. And another view of the mock-up for the 500 level bar is the view coming from the concourse side into the bar and these will be available to reserve for group outings during the 2023 season. But Jim, here is the new addition, the 500 level view bar. What are your thoughts? I'm a little disappointed just because when, you know, the idea of turning this into a bar was floated, the the, you know, the construction permits were announced. I kind of had in mind something more along the lines of what's in high right field at uh, Coors Field and what's behind center center field, right field at Nationals Park. Kind of these standing room bars where there's like a, uh, rails facing the field. So you can just kind of like standing room only. You can watch a game, have a bar on the tabletop and, and watch, the, watch the field from like a, a great distance. But at least it's like you can imagine paying seven bucks to get in and uh, watching a game there between two teams you're not really invested in and having like a nice evening doing that. There are some views, but based on the angles they've shown, it looks like the actual capacity to sit or like stand at a, a table and watch the game, not on TV, but actually the, the on-field game, looks lacking to me based on you know what they're showing there. I don't know if there are different arrangements for the seats, but that's kind of what I had in mind, and maybe that's my fault. <laughs> Maybe I had wrong expectations, um, but that, that's that's why it's a little bit disappointing. And I think the renderings could have like people in them to show like how the space could be used because just black and white and gray. It's very, yeah, I thought I was missing something. Like when you said uh, <laughs> we're going to be talking about this and I'd only been able to check the images on my phone. I wanted to check them on my on my desktop computer to see like, was I missing something? Was this supposed to be more exciting? Was there a file I didn't see? And no, just... Right now, it's kind of bland as is, and it's probably improvements over what had been there, but uh, it seems like, yeah, I was hoping for something more field-facing uh, that maybe like also tied in the skyline somehow to where like, you know, just be able to see on both sides. And I thought when I first heard view, it's like, oh, we're going to see how the skyline is incorporated through like a cutout in the stadium, and it didn't really work out that way. So my bad. <laughs> I'm going to take the blame for this, but uh, that that's something where my expectations were... Not met, and I only have myself to blame. Damn you, Jim, and your high expectations of ballpark features for the White Sox. <laughs> I'm curious to see what it ends up being, but in the mock-ups, it, it looks like maybe eight people yeah. <laughs> on each side get a chance to look at the field. Like This is just based on the renderings, and maybe it'll be much larger in person where... You can have like maybe 15 people on the rail getting a chance to, to view the field. But in the in the digital mock-ups the White Sox provided, it doesn't look like a lot of people will be getting a chance to see the field. What it looks like is that for those in the 500 level, 
uh, you're getting a couple of new bars in sections 516 and sections 548 that you'll be able to walk up and order a bunch of whatever beers that uh, Coors Molson will be offering at the stadium. It sounds like it's going to be very heavy on Miller High Life and, and Blue Moon type of products in the bar. So it, it does make it interesting, the 500 level, that now they have these party areas and, and they're trying to do the best that they can, it looks like with these view bars to make it more fun to be in the 500 level. But what's funny to me is that they're putting all this effort, Jim, into making it more fun in the 500 level. You're going to need to sell tickets for the 500 level, right? Because uh, if you're not selling mm-hmm. more than the half allotment of tickets for a game, a lot of those people, the 500 level are going to find themselves closer to the field in the 100 level Uh, So I don't know how many people are going to take advantage of this opportunity to experience these new bars. I don't even know if my season tickets, the 100 level, you will even give me access to the 500 level. I think that would be dumb if the White Sox cut me off. Like you can't get in the 500 level because you don't have a 500 level ticket. Yeah, no, I don't think that's the case. Like I think that's, I why, not. It, that's why I feel so <laughs> profoundly unfair. Like your 100 ticket holders can go anywhere, but the, you know, 500 can't. Yeah, it's um, I'm trying to think of the last time I was up there because it's been a, a few years just because I go to like one or two home games a year typically. So I tend to make it count, you know, it's, if I were going to like 10 or so, I'd probably spend a couple up there just to get a cheap ticket and, you know, not worry about, you know, what I'm spending for a game and just hang out there, get a different angle on things. But yeah, it's been probably definitely pre pandemic since I've last been up there. So, uh, I can't remember exactly what amenities were there before and what the beer selection was like, uh, you know, for that. Uh, so I can't, you know, speak to the kind of improvement it is. Uh, but, you know, the, the interior bar part seemed nice, like the concourse, you know, like a, a, a wide bar setting, especially for like a, a rain delay or like a, um, a game you don't care about, like a spot to hang out up there seems useful. So I, I don't want to slag it too much uh, because it's better than like having empty seats or just like blank wall uh, to make it more lively. I just, you know, I had one thing in mind and it wasn't this chief. Yeah, the, the rain delay is actually a really good point. Because for the 500 level, there's really not much you could do other than go into the concourse. The 500 level did introduce a smaller version of the craft cave upstairs to the 500 level behind home plate. So like sections 531 and 533. So they have a a mini version of the craft cave up there. So the beer selection, there's a wide variety of choices at the 500 level. Uh, Not as many choices if you get to the craft cave, which again is the 100 level of the stadium where they have many coolers, I should say of beer and a lot of varieties of the craft cave. We'll see, but this is kind of exciting for those looking for new additions to guarantee Ray field to check out during the 2023 season, the view bars again in the 500 level, there'll be two of them will be made available when the white Sox have their home opener against the San Francisco giants in early April. So more to see, When the construction is done and we'll take more pictures and videos when the new bar is completed at Guarantee Ray Field. So something to look forward to at the White Sox Stadium for the season. Now, to baseball talk. Major League Baseball. To the task at hand. Yeah, to the task at hand. MLB Network has been releasing their top 10 position groups. So it's top 10 season on the corporate network. And they started with the relievers and with the top 10 relievers, there is a white Sox player in the top 10 relievers. And of course that's Liam Hendricks who ranked eighth in MLB networks, 
top 10 relievers with Edwin Diaz, the closer of the New York Mets, being number one, and the Cleveland Guardians closer Emmanuel Classe being number two. And this is somewhat heartfelt that Liam Hendricks does end up on the top 10 list. As we mentioned in the last podcast episode with Hendricks' cancer diagnosis, he's more than likely not going to be started the season on time. He's going to be on the injured list as he just started his cancer treatment earlier this week. But it's great that MLB Network still includes Liam Hendricks in the top 10 because after the cancer diagnosis, I would completely understand if they took Liam Hendricks off of the top 10 with just the uncertainty of how his playing time is going to be for the upcoming 2023 season. So those are the top relievers in MLB Network. Next is first baseman. And when I saw this list in the nomination Mm -hmm. list, Jim, it got the gears working for me in my head. And these were the nominees that they were going to be asking the fans, like who should be in the top 10 out of these 16 names. And a lot of common names, of course, Freddie Freeman, Matt Olson, Paul Goldschmidt, Jose Abreu, Pete Alonzo are part of the nomination list. And I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but there's no Andrew Vaughn. There's no White Sox players nominated to be a top 10 first baseman of Major League Baseball right now. And that's a that's a funny feeling, Jim, after nine seasons of Jose mm-hmm. Abreu. So I have to ask, if you were given the task, and this is a very difficult task, knowing that the White Sox are going in with Andrew Vaughn as the primary first baseman and Gavin Sheets will play there, and I'm sure, yes, Monty Grandal will play some games at first base as well during the 2023 season. How do you stack the White Sox first base group compared to the rest of the major leagues life after Jose Abreu? It's it's the kind of case where if the White Sox were not expected to be at the height of a contention window, and you can argue that maybe they're trying to, to recapture the 2021 feeling, and they were say like, you know, maybe where the Tigers are now or where maybe the Royals are now, where there, there are some upward trajectory, but they're still a ways away. You would feel pretty good about first base. You'd say like, well, this position looks like it should be, you know, maybe a little bit under construction, but should be settled by the end of the year. You should have a good idea of who's going to be there, uh, what his capacities are, and you can adjust the other positions accordingly. But given that it's the, this is go time, replacing a White Sox legend in the middle of a, a very crucial, you know, I keep calling it a high leverage year, to have somebody who doesn't isn't named in the top 16, that's really strange, especially since so many other positions are in question. Like you could say, like if it were the only position in the infield that uh, the White Sox didn't have a top 16 finisher, you could say, okay, but second base is kind of a mess and third base is kind of a mess, given that we don't know what Yohan Makata will, will show up. Like that's tough. So it's uh, like a tricky position to feel like, I don't want to be doom and gloom about it, but also like, you know, it does require a little bit of blind faith in the White Sox having gotten this right the past couple of years and how they've handled Andrew Vaughn and they don't necessarily deserve that either. So I can see kind of all angles on this. And I know that you're going, you're kind of representing the spectrum, I think with Sean Anderson uh, going back and forth on Twitter about like, you know, Vaughn's capabilities. I don't know if you're planning to go into that, but I, I thought that's kind of, uh, to me, that represented like the uh, bullish view and the bearish view of what he can do or can't do. And it's a very it's a very tense situation that he's inheriting that seems really unfair to him. Well, he did speak to Scott Burkett on New Year's Eve on for WhiteSox.com and MLB.com. 
Scott wrote an article right before midnight. Right, right before midnight. <laughs> Scott wrote, wrote a, a column interviewing Andrew Vaughn and about this upcoming season. And Vaughn said something along the likes that he knows that it's big shoes to fill replacing Jose Abreu and the lineage that the White Sox have had in players at first base over the years. But he's trying to be himself and do whatever it takes to help the White Sox win. And I recently did join our friend Beefloaf from the 108 on his show talking about Andrew Vaughn and talking about the concerns for Andrew Vaughn. And while he wants to be himself, he has to be better than himself, especially what we've seen the last two seasons from Andrew Vaughn. And I know a lot has been thrown at him and he did not follow the same player development path as the other White Sox core position players did like Tim Anderson, Yoan Makata, Luis Robert, and Eloy Jimenez. We've talked about that over the seasons. Our fear is that you could possibly be breaking your third overall draft pick. Well, here we are at season three. He is the third overall draft pick. The White Sox believed after 2020, whatever he showed at Schaumburg was good enough to be considered the full-time DH before Eloy Jimenez made that stupid play during spring training to tear his pectoral muscle and it forced Andrew Vaughn to the outfield after two seasons. And I mentioned this on, on Beeflo show, Jim, but it's zero career war. It's zero career war mm-hmm. after two, almost two full seasons. And, you know, there's a lot of expectation that, well, Andrew Vaughn coming from the outfield to the first base will fix everything with the swing. And the point that I've been arguing about Andrew Vaughn and in order for him to show up, in this top 15 list, or maybe at the top 10 list at the end of the season, compared to some of these other names that MLB Network is nominating right now for first baseman or the top first baseman of Major League Baseball, Andrew Vaughn has to do a much better job hitting the slider, especially against righties. And that was the point that I was bringing up because he's hitting like 189 and he's got a slugging percentage of like 290 against righties when they throw the slider at him, and he whiffs at it about 31% of the time. That's a problem because in 2022, suddenly the league figured that out, and he sees more sliders from right-handed pitchers now than he sees four-seam fastballs. And that trend is going to continue in 2023. So if Andrew Vaughn's going to take another step in his his evolution as a professional baseball player, if he's going to start meeting expectations and helping fill in the void of Jose Abreu leaving the White Sox, that's a good place to start is to remind pitchers or let them know going into this upcoming season, yes, he can consistently hit the slider, And it forces pitchers to go back to that fastball, which he is a fantastic fastball hitter. But, you know, Mm -hmm. bless fan graphs. They've attempted to do this. So you can see the depth charts and the the war totals position group by teams on on fangraphs.com. And and I bring this up on our YouTube highlights as well. So for those that are watching online and for those listening to the podcast, I'm bringing up where Fangraphs currently ranks the White Sox first base situation, and they have the White Sox 17th in Major League Baseball. So outside of the top 16, just barely. And they have good feelings about Andrew Vaughn going into season three. Maybe many don't view this as great for a third overall pick in season three, but in 560 plate appearances, Fangraphs and the depth chart projections is projected a 264 batting average a 327 on base percentage and slugging 554. Okay, that's like a 781 OPS for the season and a 2.2 war season for Andrew Vaughn when you add in playing time from Gavin Sheets, Yasmani Grandal, 
Some slight playing time maybe from Jake Berger and Sebi Zavala. The White Sox projected war total, according to fan graphs, going to 2023 at this position is 2.5. It is pretty stacked up. Number 10 on the list are the Arizona Diamondbacks, thanks to Christian Walker, and they're projected at 2.9 war. The best teams at first Mm -hmm. base are the Dodgers and Blue Jays. Well, that's easy. Dodgers got Freddie Freeman, and the Blue Jays got Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So there's clearly... You know, a, a tier system here, first base in Major League Baseball. I'd throw the Cardinals in there because I think the world of Paul Goldschmidt, along with Freddie Freeman and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And then there's a lot of teams right now that are kind of in the same pool with the White Sox. So it's not all dour when it comes to Andrew Vaughn. There are things that he needs to work on. There are things that he hasn't been given the opportunity to learn, like pitch recognition down in the minor leagues, which he really did need. But it's too late now, <laughs> so you're this far. Mm-hmm. You're going to season three, and uh, I, I think if the White Sox right now projection-wise are 17th out of Major League Baseball at first baseman, and they're putting Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets there for the first time in their careers as regulars instead of outfielders, I, I think that's pretty optimistic. I, I think that's that's a good sign. Yeah, I think with first base, when you're talking about wins above replacement, it's really hard for a first baseman to distinguish himself via wins above replacement alone just because of the position penalty. Like Jose Abreu, he only had three seasons uh, with a uh, war total above four. And one of them, I guess one of the ones below four was his MVP season. He would have been on pace for, um, you know, he had three wins through 60 games. So times 2.7, that would be um, like, like eight? seven wins, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, like, and, you know, we can argue about whether it would have kept that pace or not. But, like, that was a case where, like, yeah, that was, that you distinguish yourself with that kind of season. But if you're just a 25-homer first baseman without, like, Albert Pujols in his peak grade defense, you're going to end up in that kind of two to three win range. And most teams have that. And, and you know, as you mentioned, like, you know, that's between, uh, you know, 17th and 10th, you know, that's kind of the range you're talking about. And that's fine. Uh, so that is ultimately fine for a first baseman. And you can argue whether it's third pick overall good, but given what we just saw with Nick Madrigal as the fourth pick, like you would take a, uh, a season with a, you know, that kind of you know, OPS near 800 and, and especially depending on what kind of ball, you know, is being used in major league baseball. And that kind of gets to my concerns. There's two concerns I have with Vaughn is just the fact that he drew 31 walks last year and plate patience and you know, plate discipline and patience and foul balls were supposed to be like the hallmark of his game. And somehow his walk rate dropped from his uh, first year to a second year into below average. And uh, when you're talking about a guy, Guy who you know golden spikes winner supposed to be just yeah you know, james fegan put it like his plate appearances are like police interrogations and you know he's struggling to get his obp to 330 that's a little troubling and you know when he talks about like being me i, I don't necessarily think like plate discipline is the problem because you don't see too many out of control plate appearances it's more a matter of like he uh doesn't scare pitchers enough to really make them nibble like, and especially as you mentioned with the slider thing, if they bomb with sliders enough or close to the plate or strikes, like they can get him into two strike counts to where he's on the defensive. But uh, when I see that kind of like him being me and if the ball's dead and like his all fields power is not being rewarded and his you know, fly balls to right field are not scraping top of the fence and over, but are dying on the warning track. That's like a lot of his utility in his draft profile was just being able to leave the the yard to all fields. And if that's no longer like feasible for him, 
I wonder just exactly what his ceiling is and whether he'll scare pitchers enough to like, you know, be able to get that OBP to like a, a true line moving first baseman. Uh, and, you know, if that doesn't happen, does he have the skills? Do the White Sox have ideas to get him to use the pole field more? Because I think that's really going to be, you know, if he can't leave the yard to right field, it would seem to me to be like an above average first baseman uh, to continue that lineage of Frank Thomas to Paul Konerko to Jose Abreu. Like he would have to find another way to, you know, get to 20 homers. Yeah. 17 home runs and 75 RBIs will not cut it. Period. It, it doesn't cut it. It's he's got to get to like 25 home runs or the White Sox are going to, I don't know what they're going to do. I, well, I guess they're just going to continue going with Andrew Vaughn moving forward as the, the first baseman until he eventually figures it out and they run out of team control. And then they start looking around for another first baseman. <laughs> if this is yeah. what he truly is. Right. Yeah. Or it goes into like a Carlos Sedan thing where he finally learns like the proper way to prepare during an off season. Finally, you know, learns how to survive the six month grind in his final year because <laughs> the White Sox didn't actually put him through proper minor league paces and, and, you know, learn how to do it that way before starting his clock, which is my fear. You know, like we saw that happen with Radon. We saw that happen with Carson Fulmer. We saw that happen with Zach Collins to a certain extent, just like, you know, getting them so focused on getting to the majors the way they thought they needed to get there that. You know, they didn't actually like pay attention to how that might have been stunting their development. If, you know, in the case of Collins, there may not have been development to stunt, uh, given the hitch in his swing and just, you know, that he hasn't found success anywhere else. But the White Sox have a history of fast tracking guys who uh, haven't deserved it or just because they were supposed to be polished at a college and just turns out they weren't. Because he can contribute to the major league level. We know that. We, we've we seen him do it. And if he were playing first base uh, last year, we wouldn't be talking about like a, a replacement level player. That's clearly due to his lack of ability to play the outfield, which he should, never should have been playing in the first place. But it, it's, it's a case where like, is he going to reach his heights by the time he's done a White Sox uniform the way like Rodon uh, didn't get to the heights that he people thought he could get to on draft day until his last year with the Sox because uh, just it took him so long to figure out how to get his body prepared to handle the workload that a major league starter has to absorb. Well, don't worry about the Zach Collins or Carson Fulmer comps because I used a Gordon Beckham comp for Andrew Vaughn. He's not going to have a 500 OPS, but what I'm getting at is elite college hitter that the White Sox broke because they were impatient calling calling them up to the major leagues and just the unnecessary fast tracking and just never got it together. That's my fear. Like if you're asking me, what's your biggest fear? Andrew Vaughn's already broken. Like that that's my biggest fear. But with the new hitting coach staff and being able to identify very clearly that Andrew Vaughn is really good against velocity but he really struggles with spin. If the if the new hitting coach is on staff for the White Sox, and they got like three of them now, if they could help Andrew Vaughn mm-hmm. against the slider, especially against righties, and he's going to see more right-handed pitching than left-handed pitching in 2023, then I think he could get closer to meeting expectations, and I think he could be, help fill the void that Jose Abreu left and become that guy that hits more than 25 home runs. But if he continues to struggle against the slider, I don't know what kind of hitter Andrew Vaughn's going to be. And I'm glad you mentioned like the hitting coaches because like he would seem to be, you know, if not like the player most potentially positively impacted by a hitting coach transition, he's up there like top three, just because, you know, we don't know what his, you know, the, the pictures that have been painted 
of the White Sox, the average White Sox hitters information diet uh, for pitchers and understanding what they throw and how they throw uh, has sometimes been very frightening. Like in terms of like Aloy Jimenez just wanting to know how hard, you know, what a pitcher throws and how hard his fastball is. And like Larry Garcia getting an eye, you know, like looking at pitchers on YouTube and Jose Abreu having to furnish players with iPads. Like, I'm not sure if we're just seeing like the extreme cases and other hitters are more like, yeah, I imagine like Yasmani Grandal looks at a lot of video. Like he seems like somebody who has established those habits elsewhere, but for like a hitter like Andrew Vaughn coming up in the White Sox system and coming up in a very strange way with the uh, minor league uh, season being canceled in 2020 and having that alternate training site being like his farm experience. Uh, I can see him just having like not knowing how to prepare and not knowing like how to uh, handle a major league slider first pitcher or a slider first uh, approach to him. So hopefully this is something uh, that uh, Jose Castro and uh, Mike Tozar have in mind and, and, and um, Chris Johnson, just in terms of like being able to present information uh, more clearly, being able to uh, work on pregame hitting, whether it's traditional batting practice or like cage work with, you know, more, uh, accurate representations of what they're going to be facing. Cause they talked about like wanting to get uh, pregame drills up to game speed. Like that might be part of it. Uh, you know, being you know, more uh, representative of what these hitters are going to face. This can be really fascinating to see, like uh, given all this talk that, you know, Pedro Grafal and such have emphasized about like getting uh, practice up to game speed. Uh, you know, perhaps he's somebody who is maybe more affected by that, more you know, positively affected by it than, the average White Sox hitter, and hopefully so. Like that's that's why like I don't want to get too down on him based on what we've seen because it's you know it, it could be you know based on Tony Larusa being his manager and and having no farm experience. Like this could be a case where like he's doing the best he can under really tough circumstances, and there's better. He has more in store if the coaching staff meets him halfway. Which we can you know, argue that having to play left field and play for Tony Larusa, uh, the the White Sox have not prepared him for success. So maybe this will be a case where like he'll finally get the help he needs to just stop surviving and actually like you know go into a year feeling like he could do some damage. Yeah, really good points, Jim. Really good points, and we'll see what happens with Andrew Vaughn and. That was a lot lengthier of a conversation that I was planning for, but first base, but maybe next year, Andrew Vaughn is a top 10 first base, but according to MLB network, but right now fan graphs has him at 17th. And for how little we know about how Andrew Vaughn and Gavin sheets can feel the position at first base. Uh, we're going to be learning about that too, coming into the season. But I think 17th is pretty good. If everyone buys into what fan graphs is projected for the white Sox at the first base position. And we'll see what the other top 10 lists for MLB network have to show for the white Sox based on the position groups when they're released next. I think the next one is right field. So we could skip that. Uh, <laughs> they're not going to be there. We could also skip the second baseman one. That's those are ugly <laughs> projections on fan graphs, but we're going to take a quick break and for a word from our sponsors, but coming up next, let's talk about the latest free agent signings as Johnny Cueto becomes an old friend as he signs with the Miami Marlins. Carlos Correa is coming back to the Minnesota Twins and the White Sox signed Hanser Alberto to a minor league contract. So more to discuss next on the Sox Machine podcast. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, so let's talk about some free agent signings. Johnny Cueto becomes an old friend as he signs with the Miami Marlins. It is a $6 million contract for the 2023 season, and it comes with a $10.5 million club option for the Marlins for the 2024 season or a $2.5 million buyout. So at the very least, Johnny Cueto is getting $8.5 million from the Miami Marlins, 6 for 2023, and at least 2 and a half for the 2024 season. Now, when you compare that to what the White Sox did during the Black Friday weekend shortly after Thanksgiving as they jumped the starting pitching market to sign Mike Clevenger, a reminder, Clevenger's contract for the 2023 season is $8 million. It's a mutual option for 2024, up to $12 million, or it's a $4 million buyout. So no matter what, Clevenger is getting at least $12 million from the Chicago White Sox, eight in 2023 and at least $4 million in 2024. So, Jim, the White Sox are paying at least $3.5 million more for Mike Clevenger than bringing back Johnny Cueto. And you wrote about this topic on SoxMachine.com, comparing as far as the contracts. And I like the comparison that you made because we have seen something like this recently from the White Sox. I don't. And that was addressing <laughs> – I know you don't like it, but – you, you, it's again, when they try to address right field, they jumped the market. They signed Adam Eaton come later in the off season. Jock Peterson signs for very similar money and white Sox fans are not very happy about that. Rather have Jock Peterson than Adam Eaton. And guess what? Adam Eaton gets cut in July. So the white Sox didn't even keep Adam Eaton for the entire season. And you made this comparison. Do you think in the end, Clevenger and Cueto could end up with the same type of, 
maybe not same type, but similar results as the Adamine Jock Peterson did back in 2021. Kinda. I mean, it's not, you know, it'd be a case where if I were to try to bet on, uh, you know, what potential innings totals, you know, wins above replacement totals, ERAs would be like, there's a whole lot of variance here between, you know, what Clevenger might do and what Cueto might do. Cause like, you know, as, uh, Rocky as a season as Clevenger has had and like, you know, the Rocky passed because of Tommy John surgery and, and, you know, leg problems and such. Like there's a whole lot of things he's battling. Cueto had like the best possible season. When you look at like his profile, like the fact that he was, uh, able to throw 150 innings for the first time in five years that he was, uh, you know, had the highest contact rate allowed in the majors for uh, guys who threw 150 innings and like in uh you know unremarkable strikeout rate unremarkable ground ball rates unremarkable like soft contact infield fly uh rates like just there was nothing about his profile that suggested like he could survive with that much contact and and uh that few strikeouts in such a manner again uh, so like when the White Sox, you know, did, uh, you know, look like they weren't going to resign Cueto and then th- that door really closed and they resigned Clevenger, I could see like, you know, it's you know, kind of like James McCann. Like it was a really neat, sweet time he spent on the White Sox. It's never going to happen again. Just appreciate, you know, uh, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Like they just that was kind of my approach to it. Uh, but at the same time, like having seen Cueto sign for considerably less i would consider that like you know when you're talking about like four million less of a commitment or 3.5 million less of commitment uh you know that pays for a jake diekman or that allows you to uh you know just you know you know you know shrug him away um that's uh you know considerable and like cueto was like the this is like the first contract um signed by a pitcher in this one-year group that i thought like oh i wish the white Sox had that one like every other one like matthew boyd and Corey kluber and all those ones were like yeah they're all kind of gross it's all kind of that same you know white elephant gift type thing like i hope i end up with a good one and not the one that uh you end up cutting halfway through with cueto going to a team that already has so many pitchers like that's the other fascinating thing too is like the marlins rotation is stacked like where does he fit in what do they trade? Like, is this a way to try to, you know, uh, generate trade interest in somebody else? Like, it's fascinating that he went there as well, um, because it would seem like they're, they might be moving a better pitcher to accommodate Cueto on this contract. So um, I guess the pitcher who comes to mind for me in terms of like what Cueto might be is like Miguel Gonzalez, kind of like same thing in terms of uh, not impressive in the way he did anything, but got hitters out, you know, for a few years, the White Sox until like the shoulder problems recurred. And, uh, we just, it would have been nice if Clevenger had like a, a season like that in the recent past to where he wasn't like barely, re- you know, better than replacement level and just struggling to get hitters out, giving up homers by the bunches rather than just hoping he can get better and, and show a form that he hasn't shown since like the first half of 2020, which was a long time ago based on the health problems he's had since. Yeah. I'm not crazy about Mike Clevenger. We already had a Mike Clevenger episode when, the signing was announced. We did that late November. You can go back and listen to that episode. My feelings really haven't changed a whole lot since then. And with this signing here, Mike Clevenger needs to pitch better than Johnny Cueto, Jim, or I think the White Sox miscalculated the free agent market again. Yeah. And they they targeted Clevenger. They were the first to sign him out of the starting pitchers, and that was a bit of a surprise. They identified the guy that they want, and... They're hoping that he catches lightning in a bottle. And and I keep hearing this phrase as well when people are like, well, I don't want Cueto to come back because the White Sox got lucky last year. They caught lightning in a bottle with Johnny Cueto. 
what are you hoping the White Sox do with Clevenger mm-hmm. exactly? Yeah. I mean, you're you're expecting and hoping the same thing, that cats will fix them, which has now suddenly become mm-hmm. a catchphrase after Don Cooper left or was fired, actually. Uh, he was forced to leave uh, from the Chicago White Sox coaching staff. We'll see with Clevenger. My, my concern with Clevenger is that at this stage in his career, to reiterate this point since late November, is that he is most effective with extra days off which is fine if you could afford to give it to him. But the White Sox are not that organization right now. They just don't have the starting pitching depth to fit in a Mike Clevenger, especially when you got health questions regarding Michael Kopech and Lance Lynn coming into the 2023 season. It's a lot of risk from a White Sox point of view. And with Cueto signing for less than what Clevenger signed for during the Thanksgiving weekend, I'm Clevenger just needs to pitch better than Cueto. And that's what I'm going to be paying attention to this season. Because if Cueto repeats what he did in 2022 for the Marlins, Jim, then I'm going to be pretty disappointed if we're just watching Clevenger struggle to throw 80 innings for the White Sox because he's either ineffective or he can't stay healthy. Yeah, I think, you know, if I were to try to adopt like an armchair uh, psychiatrist stance, I would say like with fans saying like that Johnny Cueto was lightning in a bottle and it won't happen again. Like I would say like, what you're saying is he's lightning in a bottle. What I'm hearing is I don't want a reason to dislike Johnny Cueto. Like the experience was so (laughs) enjoyable, like a plus experience, like everything about it, like watching him pitch, how quickly he worked, how many innings he gobbled up. Like that one uh, time he came out of the bullpen and threw five innings in relief of Michael Cueto. And like when he was like, yeah, I I imagine like wearing a robe and hanging out in the uh, clubhouse beforehand, not expecting to have to do anything that day. Uh, The horse analogies, like everything about like his White Sox career, given what he paid and how they got him and when they got him a plus, uh, like it, it's unimpeachable, his, his body of work. He almost like he, he was on the fringe of like getting Cy Young votes, despite like joining the season in, uh, in mid May, like it was great. So that's, that's kind of like how I interpret it. Just like, uh, and I kind of feel the same way. Like it's, it's nice. Like it was great. You never see a White Sox free agent, like work like that. Like even Carlos Rodon, who was like, you know, an a free agent signing given, you know, for 3 million after they non-tendered him. Like there's still warts. There's still some frustration, especially in the second half. Like, you know, can he get up to full speed by the postseason? And he couldn't like Cueto was like, you know, for what they needed for him from him, uh, you know, being that specific pitcher who just, gobbled up innings and and gave his team a chance to win every single time basically he pitched like it was perfect and uh you're not going to get that again so i i get the apprehension to like just not want to have to experience like the letdown or like the uh a decline or a lesser version thereof but uh yeah just I think it's a lot easier to say like, well, Clevenger sucks. <laughs> like if it's, uh, that doesn't break your heart at all. If, if he has a bad season, you're just like, well, I didn't like the guy anyway, but everybody likes Cueto. So to have to try to like have that same conversation about him, should, uh, should everything, should the magic disappear? That would be a whole lot of a, a different conversation to have a lot more painful conversation to have given how much uh, joy he provided last year. Okay. I see that. I can buy that. I can buy that theory. Well done, Jim. And we'll see, again, fingers crossed that Mike Clevenger holds up for the White Sox. There's just a lot of question marks regarding Mike Clevenger, especially after his last season. And it doesn't help that whenever you ask someone from San Diego about Mike Clevenger, their first response is, he's toast. I don't want to hear that. So let's hope that he's not toast for the White Sox 
Sometimes toast is good. Not, not when, <laughs> sometimes toast is what you want. Not when it comes to pitchers. Sometimes it's a side. Sops up yolk. There's a, there's a, there's a purpose. Time and to place, it Jim. Toast is not good for baseball. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying here. I'm trying, I'm trying to, to provide the, uh, the middle ground here to be a mediator between you and White Sox fans and you and San Diego people. I don't think I'm succeeding. I enjoy the effort, though. A plus effort. Carlos Correa is going back to the Minnesota Twins. It's six years, $200 million contract that in, can increase to $270 million with vested options. And there's also team options as well from a Twins perspective as Carlos Correa did pass the physical with the Minnesota Twins. This is a very front-loaded contract in which Correa is going to make $33.5 million the next few seasons with the Minnesota Twins. And he returns. It makes the Minnesota Twins better. There's a lot of questions that if Correa was going to stick in the in Queens and be the third baseman for the New York Mets, what in the world are the Minnesota Twins going to do at shortstop? For a moment there, Jim, I was thinking the Twins got pretty bad uh, during this offseason. But now here comes Correa, and now they move from, I thinking that they're going to be pretty bad to they're going to be pretty annoying, especially they can keep Correa and Byron Buxton healthy. This is what kind of irks me about this signing, though. It's the Minnesota Twins. The Minnesota Twins, at one point in their franchise, not that long ago, were up for contraction, Mm -hmm. are now dishing out $200 million contracts. And here we are, as White Sox fans and those that cover the Chicago White Sox, that we have to give a golf clap because the White Sox set a new franchise record for $75 million to Andrew Benatendi. And it's just that the the world of baseball continues to move forward in a direction that Jerry Reinsdorf at this stage in his life cannot slow down. And it just it's very clear that if teams in the American League Central are now giving out $200 million contracts, that the baseball world has passed by Jerry Reinsdorf. Well, it's reminiscent of when the Tigers were at the height of the Mike Illich, Dave Dombrowski spending and like getting Victor Martinez and getting Prince Fielder and Justin Verlander, you know, extending him and extending Miguel Cabrera and just like the White Sox couldn't keep up with that. So uh, there is that precedent for the AL Central uh, when it comes to like flexing financial muscle. I mean, the Twins are still spending less on their payroll uh, than the White Sox are. So it's a case where like, yeah, just it's, um, you know, not necessarily in terms of raw dollars, but the shape they're being spent. And there are two different strategies at play here. So I would say the White Sox and Twins are both in the same boat in terms of like their rebuilds are flagging as uh, originally constructed and intervention, either an intervention is needed or a um, just players have to reverse course like Byron Buxton has to be healthier. Uh, You know, Miguel Sano is no longer a guy who is like up and down, but just like Max Kepler, you know, if he's going to be in this uh, in the mix, like he's got to be better than he's been and you know the uh you know are they going to get more than five innings out of any of their starters like like is Rocco Baldelli going to be any better of a problem solver than he's been like I'm surprised they stuck with him given that like I don't see him being that great of a manager like you know just he seems very rigid with how he prescribes uh uh innings and situations being dealt with and like when things go wrong he doesn't have answers and I was surprised that they they retained him but like when you look at like where they are, like the White Sox, they signed Andrew Benintendi, who's a good player, and he does a lot of what the White Sox need. But we saw him, you know, with the Royals, to where like 
he's not going to define a lineup by himself. He in his presence is not going to uh, shape a team like four, five players need to be difference makers before his difference can be felt. Carlos Correa is like higher up. Like maybe he's not like a super duper star like Mike Trout. You know, and we can say like, oh, Trout can't do it himself either. But just like Bryce Harper or, you know, the the eight win players, uh, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. When it comes to like his triple crown hitting abilities, um, like he's not, you know, that grade, but he's close. Like he's second tier, I think, when it comes to just especially with his, with his consistency. And, you know, they're trying to. I guess, super solve the position because like, if it doesn't work out, whether it's because Correa, you know, his leg becomes an issue and he misses time and too much time or because like other, you know, pieces of the roster don't come together. It's like, well, they're, they're fate sealed either way. Like even, you know, like say if they signed Elvis Andrews instead of Correa because Correa went somewhere else, like they're still in that position where like all these other things need to go right or else like they're going to have to kind of scrap the rebuild and try to, get a next wave of talent in their farm system and see if Byron Buxton will ever, uh, you know, kind of be able to put together for a team that counts. But like with Crea there, like the impact is such to where like he might be able to get them back up to like 85 wins by himself. Like his difference might get him there. And then it's about the other marginal improvements in their bullpen and back end of the rotation and such like the White Sox, you know, they're counting the heavy lifting being done from within and, they have some of the talent to do that. You know, Luis Robert, you know, we talked about him being like the best chance for an MVP. Uh, you know, Tim Anderson being an all-star shortstop. Um, you know, he, he, you know, he's been there. And also he has that potential to be like an all-star at the end of the season. You know, Aloy Jimenez being a 40 homer type, like he's got that capability. So like they have that possibility, but you know, you're counting on thing, a lot of things going right. And the twins by signing Carlos Correa, uh, they're, they're requiring less to go right with the players that were there before Correa resigned. And the White Sox really did not do that. And they're placing a lot of faith in those players who have previously failed them or have not been able to play together uh, for so long while having the, you know, Jose Abreu. Like if Correa left, they would have to replace his production, but Correa replaces his own production. Like nobody has yet replaced Jose Abreu's production with the White Sox. They're counting on that coming from within Andrew Vaughn's another one to go back to him. And, you know, two different strategies, both could be valid, both could not work, but uh, I guess we'll see like, you know, there'll be something to watch over the course of the season, like which one of these was closer or, you know, which one of these was more successful or both successful or, um, you know, should the White Sox have learned from the twins or vice versa? I still like this White Sox roster overall. When you look at the projected 26 man roster, more than the Minnesota Twins. And I would say my expectation is that the White Sox are going to finish ahead of the Minnesota Twins. But I see the big picture that Minnesota is building here with the six-year contract and also having Byron Buxton under contract for six more seasons, Jim, because they have talented infielders in the prospects waiting in the wings and Brooks Lee and Royce Lewis, who was the former number one overall draft pick, but unfortunately he had another ACL tear and we may see him at some point in 2023 for the Minnesota Twins. And there, they're starting to build an infield. If everything works out for them, and there you go again. I'm using that word if uh, a lot because we mm -hmm. use it for the Chicago White Sox, but it could be used for the Minnesota Twins as well. That if Lewis is your second baseman and Brooks Lee is your third baseman and you got Carlos Correa, you have something cooking here in the infield for the Minnesota Twins. And 
who knows? Maybe they're the team that fixes Joey Gallo out in right field as they signed him to a one-year prove-it type of contract. Like, their lineup could be annoying, annoyingly good. The pitching, yeah. I think, is a mess. But there's a lot of trade smoke coming out of Miami and something to pay attention to if any of this smoke is legit that the Minnesota Twins are contemplating trading Luis Arise to Miami for starting pitcher Pablo Lopez. And if they were able to make that deal happen, maybe even Max Kepler gets involved or they swap out Arias for Max Kepler. Not quite sure because we know that Miami needs bats. And after acquiring Johnny Cueto through free agency, that they have a spot available. If they make that flip and you add in Lopez with Joe Ryan and Tyler Molly. And if Kenta Maeda comes back and he regains some of his past form before getting injured, okay, the the, the the Twins don't have a pure ace, but they have a group of, of three, number three starting pitchers. And again, this mm-hmm. adds into, they could be pretty annoying. I do not like their bullpen at all. Uh, they they mm-hmm. need more help in the bullpen. They're definitely locked down at the high leverage situations at closer, but they need better guys to help bridge that gap between the starting pitchers and the relievers. But it's suddenly in the American league central. I think it is viable to say at this point that it is possible that Cleveland, Chicago and Minnesota are all 500 or better teams at this moment. And from a white Sox perspective, you don't want to hear this (laughs) because you have fewer Mm -hmm. division games with the balanced schedule. Now, you you needed to you need somewhere to make it easier for you to help bridge the gap or pass Cleveland in the standings and I don't know Jim I was kind of hopeful that Correa did stick in Queens with the Mets not only just be fascinated with that super team but it would make life easier on the White Sox and even though I think the White Sox are still better the Twins with Correa makes them better which thus makes it a little bit difficult for the White Sox. Well, I'm looking at Fangraph's uh, team, projected team uh, wins above replacement totals, and now the Twins have the lead, 42.1 to 40.8 in terms of depth charts, wins above replacement. Some of that is like a little misleading. Like the, I was surprised to see that the Twins are only like, uh, like 0.6 wins behind the White Sox when it comes to the pitching staff. But that's partially because the Twins, like, 6th through 10th starters, they, they have a lot of starting depth. Like, the White Sox do not have much beyond Davis Martin for guys who can step in and contribute a few starts, whereas the Twins have a ton of those guys. But the top end of their rotation is really lacking. So, like, that's a case where, like, you know, the, that's not really all that useful. And so maybe that's, you know, where, like, the wins above replacements a little bit misleading if you're getting, like, two wins from your sixth through 10th starters versus like 0.4. Like, is that really going to be felt that way? I'm not so sure, especially if those sixth through 10th starters are, are like pitching like two through five innings uh, because the injury problems they've had, but you know, adding Korea uh, for the twins losing Liam Hendricks for at least part of the season, which I think is reflected in their depth chart now because he's got the medical cross by his name uh, like that, that uh, flips the standings in terms of talent. And uh, you know, the, the, asset that the White Sox bullpen was might not be so much one right now because, you know, losing Liam Hendricks while gaining nobody, uh, you know, like if they traded him and, and solve second base, like the Gavin, you know, the theoretical Gavin Lux for Liam Hendricks deal, like you could argue like, you know, you shift wins from the bullpen to the second base or maybe probably gain, gain some because of just the, the, the playing time difference. Like, 
yeah, the, the bullpen isn't scary, but the infield's better. But in this case, the bullpen isn't as scary and still, like, he didn't gain anything. So that's like when it comes to this team-wide picture, it's kind of a double whammy for the White Sox this week. And, you know, it, it's close enough to where, like, there isn't a difference. And, like, you know, like you, I, I believe in the White Sox talented a little bit more. Um, I guess we'll see what whether Pedro Griffal is better than Rocco Baldelli, even if I don't think much of Baldelli. We're still learning what Griffal can actually do. But it's, you know, kind of both teams seem... Like, you know, if you're counting on like Griffal not being a defining manager, like not being like a, a plus manager in his first year, they're kind of in the same boat, I think, to where like, yeah, they could be 500-ish and uh, still like uh, distinctly behind the Guardians. Yes, I think that's fair to put on record right now in mid-January on how I feel as well, Jim. Neither Chicago or Minnesota have done anything this offseason to make me believe that they are better than the Guardians. And that's on the White Sox and Twins front office. Right now, it's a lot of hope, prayer, and ifs, and... Basically stay healthy. Whatever wishes that you may have. Basically stay healthies, both in Chicago and Minneapolis right now. And if all those click, the White Sox and Twins could be really good teams, especially from a White Sox perspective. But, man, we know what Cleveland did last year. They had the youngest roster in Major League Baseball. And they're bringing that all back going to 2023. And they added Josh Bell and Mike Zanino to their lineup. It's a, it's a nice addition for the Minnesota twins. They still have work. Let's see if they add more starting pitching to the rotation. But I was hoping that this would be a two team race, Jim, mm-hmm. to make life a little easier for the white Sox. But now Craya coming back. I think it's back to a three team race, which is more entertaining from a baseball fan perspective, but it does not make life easier for the Chicago white Sox, but maybe it could all flip on its head with the addition of Hanser Alberto, Jim. He signs a minor league contract with the White Sox and get a load of this slash line with the Los Angeles Dodgers last year in 70 plus games. He hit 244 with a 258 on base percentage and he slugged 365 and that's not impressed. That doesn't impress you. He pitched 11 innings in relief for the Dodgers. And he played six different positions last year. Every position in the infield, including pitcher, and of course, in right field. And all right, I'll stop. Charlie <laughs> needs players, Jim. But why do I have this feeling at some point in 2023, we're going to see Hanser Alberto with the White well, Sox? Well, they did overlap in Kansas City. Uh, Alberto and Pedro Griffal and Mike Tozar and Eddie Rodriguez and everybody else. like They just might like him as a team guy. And if you play like six positions with the Dodgers and you sop up, you know, that many innings and like just, you know, a garbage time for your team, I guess that does speak to your like ability to uh, make yourself appealing to a coaching staff. Even if you're a team like the Dodgers that has talent all over the place and, you know, can more or less shrug away a guy like Alberto. So that, that was my first read on it is that when I saw his history last two years, Dodgers and Royals and thought like, well, there's the Royals and uh, you know, he doesn't really help, but you know, he can slug the occasional Homer can play everywhere. Like, yeah, just, yeah, I can see him popping up. Um, you would hope that he's buried by like, you know, all the other multi-position guys like, you know, Romy Gonzalez, Lenin Sosa, um, you know, they, those are the first two. And then you hope that Jose Rodriguez can join the proceedings you know, later to help, you know, fill in the other infield positions. But yeah, there is that fear just because uh, the White Sox tend to, uh, you know, run out of position players <laughs> and uh, a guy like Alberto just, he has the, 
yeah, I, I, it seems like health is on his side. Like he's somebody who stays healthy and makes himself available. Kind of like Danny Mendick in previous years, like until the collision with Adam Hazley, like Mendick was good at staying healthy and good at being there uh, when emergency struck. And Alberto seems to have the same thing. So if Mendick gets a major league contract with the New York Mets and like he's somebody who, uh, you know, needs a 26 man roster spot, then I guess Alberto's there for the guy, you know, can be in a major league dugout and, and fill the occasional emergency purposes here and there and not completely embarrass himself in small doses. Like that might be what the white Sox have in mind, or they just like have him around in spring training. will be like, Oh, at least he'll be able to be a positive impact on some of our young infielders. And then they'll figure it out from there. Yeah. I'm thinking if Lurie Garcia pulls up lame, like he pulls a hamstring and he has to go on the injured list. I think Hanser Alberto is the guy they call up. Like that's what I'm thinking here. That that's that's how the Alberto yeah. joins the White Sox at some point <laughs> in 2023, which is very realistic type of situation uh, for Alberto to join the White Sox. I, I don't think he's going to be a competition to be a starting second baseman, so everyone could breathe. I'm not suggesting that, but Charlotte mm-hmm. needs players, and I've just got a feeling at some point. We're going to see Hanser Alberto, so don't make too too much fun of him because uh, I think he at some point he's going to show up in the south side. Yeah, there's there's a little bit of Chesler Cuthbert here. Oh, yeah, he did play for the White Sox. <laughs> <laughs> he got uh, one plate appearance. Yep. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. What a plate appearance. Also overlapped with Pedro Griffal, but pre Griffal. But yeah, it just that's like same thing. Like when the White Sox signed Chesler Cuthbert that year as an NRI, I just thought like, yeah, I could see it. And briefly he did, but not enough to make a difference and not enough to like, you know, um, in the White Sox had a good year and, you know, he nobody thought twice of him after he's let go. So it just but that's who came to mind when I saw that 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 signing. The Royals utility infielder um, who. Had some moments against the White Sox and nobody else. The type else. of player the White Sox can't quit on. Hanser Roberto. Yep. Welcome to the minor league roster for the Chicago White Sox. We'll see if he joins the team in 2023. But that's a good place to end as far as this episode. So thank you guys so much for listening and watching this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. So the watching front, we're still inching closer to our milestone of 1,000 subscribers. So if you enjoy watching videos on YouTube... Help us out by subscribing at youtube.com slash Socks Machine. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Socks Machine. And if this is the first time listening to the Socks Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the Socks Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. And if you enjoy our work and would like more, you can do so by signing up at patreon.com slash Socks Machine, where our Patreon supporters, they get more. They get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. And when we have new Socks Machine swag in the store, they're the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2, and you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding 
or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.